This is Michael O'Connor, the Clueless Gent. In this episode, we have more bookish goodness, Texas style. Our author today writes about what he loves, and that's the Big Bend, right after this. We're a bookish Texas podcast. We try to keep it fun. So everyone who listens will stay until we're done. We'll talk about some Texas books and Texas authors too. And along the way, we hope to bring some bookish joy to you. Ben English is truly a Texan's Texan. He's an eighth-generation Texan who grew up in the Big Bend, one of six generations of his family to call that area home. At 17, he joined the Marine Corps, and during his counterintelligence work, he traveled to over 30 countries on four continents. He graduated from Angelo State University and then went on to a career in the Texas Highway Patrol. Ben published his first book in 2017, and it was almost immediately accepted by University Press. Ben's full bio and photos are in the show notes, and I encourage you to check them out. Ben English writes about what he knows, the Big Ben of Texas. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. I'm very pleased to be here. And we're happy to have you. Now, there may be listeners out there who have never heard or even uh, been to the Big Bend, since it's such a huge part of your writing. Uh, what is it and where is it? The Big Bend part of Texas uh, sits in the uh, area, in West, in actually trans-Texas region of our state, uh, that makes, uh, where the Rio Grande makes a Big Bend. It starts out by actually... Uh, the Sierra Blanca Van Horn area and makes this uh, huge bend through Presidio and Bajitas and the Terlingua City Butte area, the Big Bend National Park, then starts back up through what they call Lower Canyons and Black Gap area by La Linda and pretty much evens out in this bend and finishes it around the Sanderson area. Cool. Personally, I've never been there myself, but after reading some of your books, you know, I have every intention of getting there someday. Well, I'm uh, pleased to hear that. Uh, the Big Bend has always had its own aura, its, its own way of uh, of being, I guess you would say. I know of people that have come from all over the world, including other mountainous states like Colorado and such, and they come down here and they stay here. They never imagined that there was a place like this in Texas. Wow. Now, you had a very illustrious career in the Marine Corps and then the Texas Highway Patrol, and I'm sure there are a lot of good stories out there. Yet, from the very beginning of your writing career, you wrote about the Big Big Bend. Why? Well, first, it is such a, an easy thing to write about for me. I, uh, You know, everybody has a passion. Everybody has a weakness. Otherwise, you can't consider yourself having a life that is somewhat well-lived. And the Big Bend has always been my passion. It's been my family's passion. Back into the early 1880s when they first got out here, and that's not even including passing through before on the Chihuahua Trail. And it was just something, this love, this something in the DNA about this country just gets passed down from generation to generation. I've had family members that have come into here or been born into here and then they'll move on. But I don't care where they move to or how long they're at this new place where they go, but they always consider the Big Ben home. So did the other members of your family feel the same way as you? Yes, sir. My grandparents, my dad, 
my brothers, uh, my two sons, my great, great aunt that was uh, well known in the area by the name of Mag Smith, Aunt Mag and our family, she was a blood English. They still talk about her along the river. One of the first Englishes to come out here, uh, my be a great, 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 great aunt. My great, great grandfather, they all had a pull to this area just never let go. Wow, that's amazing. And that aunt of yours, I mean, I actually read the book about her life story. Yes, sir. Uh, she was a, uh, best way to describe Aunt Mag, she was a force of nature. She was a little sister to my great-grandfather, the first Ben. There's five Ben's, the firstborn of the firstborn, and he was the first Ben. They still talk about her along the river and the stories about her and such. She was a she was her own person. I don't think she'd ever want to be anybody else. Yeah, it's it sounded like it. I I enjoyed the book very much. Now I had no idea that you know she had even existed, and I think I'm a better person just because of knowing it. Yes, sir. Uh, she was actually born in South Texas. Uh, a lot of my family pioneered early on the. Uh, Carrizo Springs, Crystal City, La Parra area along Turkey Creek near the Nueces. And uh, she was born there, but my great-great-grandfather had a ranch out in the Sierra Vieja Mountains uh, south of Van Horn. She grew up there as a teenager and then came into the Big Bend Popper there at Bullis Gap. Most people don't know where Bullis Gap is, but that's only about five miles uh, north of the river in the very northeastern part of Brewster County. Hmm. And from there on, she had different stores and trading posts and things of that nature. Yeah. But all in the lower Big Bend. Yeah, she's quite a character. She was not anybody to take lightly, sir. Like I said, she was a, she was a real force of nature. Yeah, she was. Even her in her photos, you know, you, you could tell. <laughs> you could tell she was a force of nature. Yes, sir. Uh, there's been several books that spoke about her and such. One of the things that uh, I ran into uh, when we were being interviewed for the Bill Wright book uh, about her is I said you have to be very careful to separate the fact from the fiction because there's so many stories about her and so Many of these stories have been repeated over the decades. I said it's very hard to to separate the two. It reminds me of the scene in the old John Ford Western, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, when the truth came out when uh, who had really shot Liberty Valance, and the reporter asked his editor, what am I going to do? What should I do? And the editor looked at him and said, when fact becomes legend, print the legend. Oh, that's interesting. Now, you've written both fiction and nonfiction about the Big Bend. Can you talk about which was harder and which brought the most satisfaction? Well, both of them bring an equal amount of satisfaction to me. I enjoyed uh, writing the uh, fiction. In fact, that first book is uh, actually the first book of a 12-part series about this family, the Templar family, and a lot of it occurs in the Big Ben area, or in Texas in general, and in fact, the first book starts with their crusader battle against the Muslims in uh, a place in the Holy Land called the Horns of, uh, of uh, Hatim, and uh, that starts the Templar name, there's a big deal, and goes into a kind of a complicated story of how they end up in a new world hundreds of years later, and then end up in Texas, but... 
it's kind of near and dear to my heart because a good part of the stories that I'm writing as far as fictional stories, these novels, follow on the path that my own family took come to New World. Many of the stories in my first novel, the, the little events that occur in there and uh, Destiny's Way, those events actually happened. And many of them happened to my own family. Wow. Even the, the, the supernatural aspect of it, you know, the subplot in it, just about all those events that take place as far as the supernatural occurred to members of my family in the old ranch headquarters that we had. Mm. And that's a, that's a very good story, by the way. I, I read it and I, I reviewed it. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, the second, I guess you would call a semi-sequel to that book, will be coming out hopefully this spring. It's entitled Winter Eagles, and it will have to do with uh, events leading into the, the eve of the first Gulf War right here in Texas. Of course, a completely fictional story, but a lot of the background was the truth. The groups involved, the different uh, events, historical events that were occurring at that time, uh, that's all true. And many of the individuals mentioned in the book were actually uh, historic individuals, uh, real people. Wow. Well, I'll look forward to that. I have about seven or eight uh, advanced readers that read my stuff before I uh, take it to the publisher. Uh, and I had uh, some women read this uh, second novel, and uh, they one or two admitted to me later on and said, we weren't so sure about this to begin with, because I gave them the plot of it. They said, oh, my goodness, you know, pretty uh, action Jackson type of a storyline. Uh-huh. They said after they read it, they said, that's a really, really good book. You've got to get this one published. <laughs> and I figured if I can get women to become involved and to really respond positively like that to an action adventure type of novel, the men won't be any problem at all. Yeah, I imagine not. I imagine not. During the first time we talked, which was, you know, a few days ago now, I think I mentioned to you that you were the one person where your voice, you know, was exactly what I was expecting. You know, I was exact. I was expecting you to sound exactly like you do. And in the beginning of this episode, I introduce you as a Texan's Texan. Now, how do you see yourself? I see myself as a caretaker of my family memories and of the history of this land. Again, it's my passion. These stories that I come up my mind, both the fiction, as far as the fiction and the fading memories of what was fact, as far as for history and such, I take that very seriously. The one thing that I'm more proud of than anything else is the way that my readers have responded to me. If somebody gets on Facebook and looks at my Facebook page, they will see that I have a very active page there. And most all of the people that contribute into it and have comments and such are my readers. And the one thing they say about my work and the one thing my publisher said about my work was one of the reasons I was accepted to his publishing house was that I was, in their words, authentic. And that is very important to me. You asked me before what got me to writing that first book about the lower Big Ben because so much had been lost and so much had been changed around. Uh, There are so many people that come to this country and they think they discovered a new country like nobody has ever lived there before or ever named things and places and 
mountains and mesas and and creeks and hills and things of that nature. I think they come to this blank tapestry, this blank canvas. And in reality, it is a very old land, and there's a great deal of history to it. But they come in and they they neglect to learn that history. They neglect to be told about it. And there's so many people, or I should say so few, that actually know the stories behind it. And uh, it leads to a great deal of confusion. And that was one of the reasons I decided to write these books. Because even, again, the, the fictional works have a great deal of history. In them. Mm-hmm. Well, that authenticity that you spoke of, uh, I agree. I think that's very important. I think all writers need to be authentic about what they're writing. And, you know, that authenticity, it really comes shining through in your books. I could tell that you knew what you were talking about. Well, I appreciate that, sir. I remember there is, along with Bill Wright, he and a lady by the name of Marsha Daldestal, both of them were instrumental in getting me to the point where I was published. They were the ones that took interest in my writing and they're the ones that kind of walked me through the process. And it was because of them that I landed a university contract from the very beginning, nearly immediately. And I remember Marsha telling me, she goes, uh, she goes, you should have been writing decades ago. And that was the one time I had a bit of a different opinion. Of course, you know, here I was just starting out. She's been doing it for years and years, her and Bill, and they had... <laughs> Publishing. So here comes this young genius along, you know, as far as a, a real rookie now in the process. And But I told her, I said, well, for me, and speaking only for myself, I wasn't ready. For me, I believe you got to live it before you can write about it. Yeah. At least that's what, and perhaps, well, that's why it does come across as authentic. Now, you know, you talked about uh, doing the um, audiobook of your latest book. Now, I would imagine that because of the nature of, of your voice and your personality, that authenticity is going to come through there too. How, how is that going? Oh, it's, it's going well, I suppose. Uh, that has been a very steep, steep learning curve for me. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the more the doors open for you, first of all, they are very appreciated. And again, when it comes to the authenticity and just being uh, a person who likes to get a job done right, then I have to do all the research and background and, and, and learn these new ways of doing things. And like I said, learning to use these different audio programs and uh, getting the equipment together so I can do it here at this home. That's been a steep learning curve. It's, it gave me a new appreciation for anybody who is an actor because of the concentration and the talent or the or the or the understanding of how to use your voice how to uh put certain inflections into certain areas and uh like i said it gave me a new appreciation for actors because not only they do it with their voices they're doing it with their bodies they do so and a lot of it's from memory yeah yeah so do you do you see yourself doing more of this i think uh very much so my publisher were the ones that that pushed me to do this to begin with because they asked me, said, how would you like an audio version of out there? And I said, well, that would be mighty fine, you know? And then they say, well, how would you think about 
doing it as far as doing the narrative yourself. And I was kind of taken aback because they have like eight different readers who are professional readers for audiobooks, if you will, uh-huh. and on their staff. And I said, are you sure about that? And they were like, yes, we think you're the one that should read the book. And I kind of like, well, I don't know about that. So I went to my advanced readers. I went to people that I trusted. I even posted on my Facebook page that Creative Text wanted me to do my own reading, my own narrative on out there. And uh, everybody thought it was just a grand idea. And the biggest one of all was my wife, and she's also my well, I'm my biggest critic. So when she says it's two thumbs up, then I better pay attention. <laughs> yeah, I bet you should. But I, I think it's a great idea, you know, because of your voice and your nature and even your pronunciation. You know, I, I could hear earlier uh, when you were pronouncing the names of places in, in the Big Bend. You know, it, it's it's very authentic. I mean, that's a good word, authentic. And I would imagine that that's going to come through into your audiobook. Well, I thank you, sir. And so far, I, I made my first cut and I sent it off to the publishing house and they were like, that is amazing. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> I don't know what your threshold is for amazing, but I thank you very much. <laughs> but uh, no retakes so far, and I'm up to chapter four. And something else that has happened is I've, I've also done a video voiceover for the Museum of the Big Ben here at Soros State University concerning my books. So they're going to start selling my books in their gift shop. And they said, would you do us a video and a voiceover concerning your books and what that so i'm getting a lot of practice this sort of thing anyway i don't know how bad i messed up but i'm getting into a lot of practice it sounds like you're enjoying doing it i am sir uh, every job i ever had i can think back i learned something from it yeah and there, there was something there of worth but i guess this is what i enjoy doing the most because it all surrounds what my passion is, what mm-hmm. I enjoy. I enjoy the research. I enjoy getting out there on these trails and putting in 15, 16, 17 miles a day on foot and, and you know, boots on the ground kind of research. Uh-huh. I enjoy the uh, meeting the people, my readers. The one thing I was more concerned about than anything else was how I would respond to whoever read my books, whoever I came into contact with. My, book signings, my book talks, things of that nature, because I'm not a very social person at times. I, I, I guess it's part of being in that country so much, but I enjoy, I really do enjoy being by myself. But my readers have been such a fantastic group of people. It has been an absolute pleasure to meet these people and to visit with them and share experiences and stories and such. So that has been the biggest surprise and one of the most gratifying surprises of the whole gig, so to speak. It sounds like you do have a pretty close relationship with your readers. Yes, sir. Well, they're the ones me where I am. My readers, there would be real no re- there would be no real reason to write. That's true. When I was a kid, you know, all you know, all these kids and my included, my generation, I probably ever kid that's ever come along, a little boy or something. You have your sports celebrities and heroes. And uh, my mine, well, I'll call, I guess you could call them the three R's and an A. And that would be Roy Rogers, Richard Petty, 
and Roger Staubach. And the A would be Audie Murphy. Mm. And each one of these men, I learned early on, and I guess it's why I admire them so much, is they realized that where they were in life, you know, Audie Murphy is a movie star, and of course the most decorated American soldier in World War II. Right. Uh, Richard Petty, seven-time champion of uh, NASCAR circuit. Um, Roy Rogers, everybody knew who Roy Rogers was. Uh-huh. And of course, Roger Staubach, Captain America himself with football. Uh-huh. And but each one of these men realized that what got them there were other people, people mm-hmm. who supported them. I remember reading the story about Richard Petty that he learned, he went to calligraphy school to learn how to sign his name. Really? And everybody would say that uh, they were never too busy to talk to the fan, never too busy to, to visit with someone because they realized if it wasn't for these people, they wouldn't be where they were. Mm-hmm. And that's something I took, tried to take over into my writing and such. Because, again, if it wasn't for my readers, there would be no real reason to write. Yeah, I think that gets back to the authenticity thing. Well, I appreciate that, sir. And I think it's a real, that is a, it is a privilege for me to feel that way. And you, you kind of humble me whenever you say that. Uh, because... Uh, to me, it's just a, a simple truth. My writing, you know, I have people get on Facebook and tell me how much they appreciate what I write and how good I make them feel with what I write. And that's a humbling experience. And I hope I never get too big for my britches to go beyond that experience. In fact, I've told a bunch of Ohio patrolmen and, and Marines that I've known throughout my life, I said, if I get too big for my britches, just take me out behind the barn somewhere and just beat the living stuff in that. <laughs> because I feel so honored and so privileged and, and humble whenever people tell me this sort of thing. It sounds like you're living the dream, man. You're living the dream. I, think, I really believe that I am, Lord. I, uh, Lord has blessed me in so many different ways from my very beginning. I have so many blessings in my life just to be alive still, especially the kind of living that I did. And but among all these blessings, some of the biggest blessings, again, are these people that have come into my life and being able to do something now that so many people appreciate. Mm-hmm. You know, I have so many people make contact with me and they say, you know, I can't hike or I can't, backpack like I used to, or they have a physical infirmity or something of that effect. They said, but through you, with your words and your photographs, I can go along. Mm-hmm. And my attitude is, well, thank you for letting me uh, take you there. Thank you for coming along. No, I'm curious, as you were growing up, what did you read? Anything that, uh, <laughs> anything that presented itself. I went to a one-room schoolhouse Fifth grade, uh, what first through sixth grade, nine students thereabout. Wow! In Terlingua, Texas, and it was an old house, morning thing out. One room was a uh, classroom, and you had a breezeway in the middle, and then the other room was a library. And such books that people donated, and usually they were a lot of the classics. But my dad, he was his attitude was didn't care what it was. He goes, it's a cereal box. If you sit there and read it, you will learn something. 
Wow. And uh, he was a voracious reader. My grandfather, who only had about a fifth grade education, but he could work numbers like nobody's business, he had a, a appetite for reading that just ferocious. Mm. And I picked it up from them. But I read, oh my gosh, uh, comic books. I used to have a stack of comic books. Hot Rod Magazine, that was one of my favorites. Uh, I read these books, these classics. I remember when I was in high school, I was there in Fort Stockton. I uh, was recognized for reading the most books that came out of the library of any student in high school. And uh, even in the Marine Corps, I had my Alice pack in the grunts out someplace, but I always had a couple of paperbacks stuffed inside one of the pouches for that Alice pack. Mm, I believe that. Yeah, I believe you yeah. would. You know, I've always said that reading makes someone a better writer. I, I really believe that. And it, it gets to the point where you choose your authors to help you with your own reading. Like right now, I'm, I've read probably every book Lula Moore ever wrote. Uh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, and and right now I'm going on I'm I'm going through Flint right now for the third time. I think I read it the first time back when I was in junior high. But he had a knack for not wasting a word. Now some of his writing people would say was the same story over and over, same plot, just different names, different locales, stuff. Maybe that's so. But he had a gift. We're getting so much expressed with such few words. He didn't ever waste a word. And so I'm reading his stuff again through that now because it influenced my writing early on and trying to get that fine edge that he had for the ability of doing that. I read a lot of his stuff. In fact, both of my sons started reading when they were four years old, and their primer was not Jack and Jill. It was a little more novel. Oh, wow. And uh, so they picked it up right away, too. But Elmer Kelton, that was another big influence in my writing. Again, all the classics. Mark Twain, I always really enjoyed Mark Twain. Will Rogers, that was another good one. Will James, Smokey the Cowhorse, writers like that. That was what I grew up around. Anyway, yeah. uh, my family, that's what they had in their books. I remember my grandfather was talking about him. He'd sit down and over-tiner if he got through the ranch work of the day, and there was a box on either side of his old recliner. One box was full of books he hadn't read yet, and the other box was full of books he'd finished with. And yeah, usually it was a Western of some sort. Wow, and so that became my reading material also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none of that surprises me. It's just amazing. And that all goes into making you who you are, and who you are is the reason you can write what you do. Yes, sir. And again, I feel very blessed in that. You know, Every Veterans Day and times like that, people come to me and say, thank you for your service. And I'm like, well, all you can say is thank you in return. I appreciate that. I appreciate your support. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was such an honor and such a privilege to do so. And it afforded me so many opportunities. When I came out of seven years in the Marine Corps, I came out with a whole lot more than what I went in with. Mm -hmm. And one of the greatest blessings in all that was knowing these men. When I sit down and write like Destiny's Way, I hear people say, well, this certain character reminds me of you or something. I said, well, it actually wasn't me. It was somebody I knew or somebody that I know. Mm -hmm. And being able to stand there with true heroes and true men, men's men and American patriots, those are the guys I write about. Yeah. 
those are the guys who stay out as the model. It's just I just tell their story and put them in a certain situation. And again, when I got the chance to uh, in the Texas Highway Patrol and Texas Department of Public Safety, again, it was the same story. I stood with some superlative people. I work with them day in, day out. The kind of guy, the kind of man, the kind of woman, when everybody else is running away from the danger, they're running headlong into it. Yeah. Just as fast as they can get there. They'd bust the gut or blow a motor trying to get there. Wow. Well, I can see so many stories there. Well, actually, my next book that I'm beginning on after Winter Eagles gets its take off, so to speak, little pun. Uh, my fifth book is entitled, will be entitled Black and White, Real Stories of Texas Highway Patrol. Oh, wow. Cool. But by and large, it won't be about me. It about, it'll be about men, good men that I knew and that I served with and some who acted as my mentors and were as close as any brother. It will be their stories because they were the ones who didn't make it. Ooh, well, I'll be looking forward to that one. Well, it, this is one that I, one part of me really doesn't want to write this book because it's going to be opening a lot of cans of worms that I filled off a long time ago. Mm. Buried in the backyard. Now, I'm going back out there with my shovel and I'm figuratively digging these filled cans of worms back up and opening them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a hard thing to do, but it needs to be done. With all that I see going on now, with what our society is saying on certain segments of society and what they're proposing and such, I don't know what kind of police officers they were around, but I do know the kind of police officers that I was with. And that I served with. And that's why I want to tell their story. And I'm so glad you are. And I, I agree with very much with, with the things you said about uh, today's society. I, I, uh, and of course, there's, it's a two-way street because sometimes an officer is his own worst enemy. And there are some, and I see it more and more these days, speaking for myself, that I look at and I say, that one should have never gotten through the process in the first place. Mm-hmm. But. I want people to realize that, yeah, you may run across a bad officer every now and then, but for that one bad officer, there's another hundred out there doing a fantastic job. I believe that too. Little or no recognition, and they do it every single day. And again, I try to use the illustration when anybody that has any sanity whatsoever is running away from a danger, these are the people that run straight into it. Mm -hmm. They never even give it a second thought. That's just like, in this world, you have wolves and you have sheep and you have sheep dogs. And the peace officers of the state of Texas and, law, and as well as those across the nation, those are the sheep dogs. They protect the sheep from the wolves. Yeah, I believe that too. And they do it and they will give a second thought to what they're doing as far as it's just the right thing to do. Okay, man, I got one last question. I imagine there are uh, many people out there who would like to write about their favorite place on earth. And since you are doing that, what advice would you have for them? Sit down and get started. Don't let anybody tell you, starting with yourself, that you can't do it. Don't let anybody, starting with yourself, tell you that you're not talented enough or whatever to do it. You can look at any field of creativity, that call, be it with, with just an artistic ability or a physical ability or a mental ability 
you can go as far in this life, especially in this nation we live in now, as you will yourself to do so. There's not anything out there you can't accomplish. And when I see these people that think, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do something else, then it might be somebody else that tells them that, but they secretly think it themselves about themselves. Uh-huh. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Life is too short. You know, they often say that when you reach the end of the trail, it's not the things that you did that bother you so much. It's the things that you did not do. Oh, yeah. That's that's a statement right there. That's very true. And so I encourage anybody, everybody, if you have a passion you want to write about, or you have a passion you want to do, or you have a passion to do this or that or something else, follow it. As long as you're not hurting anybody and being a contributing citizen to this country, follow that dream, follow that passion, because you, more than anything else in the world that we live in, in the country we live in, as the old poem goes in Invictus, which is one of my favorites, you are the master of your own faith. You are the captain of your own soul. Fine words. You know, that's, and that's what I would tell anybody thinking about writing or anything else in this world. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't defeat yourself before you ever get started. Very fine words. Well, Ben, we so much appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. So much good information. And I encourage, you know, everyone listening to get out there and read some of Ben's work. It's very good. Thank you, sir. I, I, I give thanks that you uh, asked me to, to appear in your podcast. And I wish everyone out there a happy new year. And God bless to each and all. And may God bless America. Thank you. Ben, as you can tell, is quite the amazing person. I've never met him in real life, but I hope to one day. That was some great advice that he gave. You can do it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't. If you want to write, you can write. No one can tell you you can't write. It may not be suitable for publishing right away, if if that's your goal, but I encourage you to write for yourself. You should be your first audience. I'm sure that you learned a few things from Ben, and if you have not read any of his books, I highly encourage you to read some. This is Michael O'Connor, The Clueless Gent. Thank you so much for listening.